study we're glad you're here I'm here you're here we're here that's exciting so I'm um, pretty excited to get her going so we're gonna take a few moments and pray and ask God's blessing on our time let's pray father thanks for uh, time to meet we thank you for your presence we thank you God uh, for your word tonight and we thank you for your Holy Spirit we ask that he would lead us he would guide us he would empower us to receive all that you have for us. I pray revelation. I pray understanding. I ask God that you would teach us something new tonight. Uh, for some of us, something maybe we've never heard before or we never realized or we've never applied to our lives, but something new, uh, something that would challenge us, something that would challenge our perspectives, something that would shake us in our ruts, out of that rut. I just pray, Father, that this would be a night of good revelation, good change, good challenge. I ask you, God, that you'd be glorified through what we do. I pray you'd be blessed and glorified in this time, in this place. If we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to Numbers chapter 18. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. We have Bibles and pictures available on the table photographs uh, for you to peruse if you'd like a photo i assume they're there for the taking uh yeah so and uh, you feel free to use any of the bibles that are on the table we obtain bibles for use and also to give away so feel free to take a bible if you need it I'd also like to take this opportunity to remind our listeners on our podcast that we have an interactive feature to our bible study through a website at www.speak S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash all one word Monday Night Bible Study. And you go to that spot there, that page. It'll be a, a button to toggle and you can leave us a voicemail. It could be a question, comment. It could be in response to something that you've heard on the podcast. It doesn't have to be current. It could be something from the past. Maybe you're going through some of the archives and listening. Or you might just want to say hi or tell us where you're from. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, please avail yourself of that, and uh, it's always fun to hear from people who listen to the podcast. We know you're out there because we see the results. We know that uh, we have people listening all over the world, all of the United States, and so we'd love to hear from you if you get a chance to drop us a line. Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20. I need a volunteer to read verse 20. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, this is referred to uh, what you're seeing uh, being laid out here in Numbers 18, uh, specifically down here in verse 20 and some of the other verses that surround it, is what's referred to as a covenant of salt. 
kind of interesting that they use that terminology. That was a very common term in that in their day, uh, in that region of the world, that there were certain covenants that were referred to as covenants of salt. And what they meant by that was drawing on the idea of salt being a preservative, of salt being something that was lasting. And so the idea behind that is if you had a covenant of salt, it was something that was going to last. It was something that was going to be preserved. It was something that meant something that was going to go on and on and on. So this is part of the covenant of salt that was being made. And so what we take from that is that this is a permanent binding. This is a covenant that is being made with Aaron. Now what's interesting about it is that Aaron himself, the person Aaron, he was not going to enter the promised land. Right? Who entered the promised land? Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two. So Aaron was part of the generation that was going to die in the wilderness. He would never enter into the promised land. And so when God was making this covenant with Aaron, Aaron was representative of someone else. He was representative of the priesthood. He was representative in a somewhat lesser sense, but still representative of the Levites. And so uh, as God was making this covenant with Aaron, he's making this covenant with the priests and the Levites that would come after Aaron, which is kind of important to us because this covenant of salt, in other words, this permanent, this binding covenant that was being made, wasn't really being made with just one person, but it was being made with a, a type of person. It was being made with a group of people that weren't bound by time or place. Because obviously it wasn't for him. It was for those that would come after him. It wasn't just for him in, as a person in that time and that place, but it was for a type of person that would still exist long after Aaron was dead in the wilderness. Because it was being spoken forth into the future that Aaron would already be dead in. So looking at it that way, I want you to think about us. I want you to think about us as not just whatever you are or whoever you are, but in the sense, a spiritual sense about who you are. You know, not necessarily that you're English or Irish or German or Mexican or Guatemalan or Nicaraguan or, or whatever you happen to be or South African or Dutch. <laughs> who alien that's more on the spiritual side but i mean you know you think about you know all the different backgrounds that might be represented scandinavian um yeah russian eastern european asian yeah yeah all right then you've got your native peoples I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, so don't be offended. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is it's more than that. Uh, we as a people, we have an identity in Christ uh, that we've been given. And, and so part of that identity in Christ has, uh, is that we are a, a type of people, a, a kingdom of priests. 
And it's important that we see ourselves that way. And I want to speak this, especially those of you that came out of a more traditional background, where there was this huge division between clergy and laity, where that idea was a big deal. I want you to think about that for a second. And I want you to let it sink in that that division wasn't always so. It, it didn't always exist within the church. And every movement that God raises up, the subsequent movements that have been raised up over the years since the Reformation, uh, since the restoration of certain truths that have come back into the church, you, know, you, you think about every movement like that. You think about all of the movements that, that took place, say, from Martin Luther forward in history. They restored certain truths to the church. You know, Martin Luther, salvation by faith, grace, and the work of grace, and, and bringing people back to the scriptures and translating the scriptures in such a way that people could actually read them. And they didn't have to be told what they meant, but they could read them in their own language and understand them themselves. I mean, these are certain truths that were restored during that time frame. And, and every one of these movements, the Wesleyan movement, that they came forth, restored certain truths to the church about the importance of knowing the Word of God, the importance of studying the Word of God, the importance of holiness, the importance of, of, of allowing God to, to really mean something in our daily lives, of living and what that means to, to live as a Christian, it restored worship to the church. The Wesleyans restored the idea of evangelism, church planning, those kind of things. <clears throat> All of these movements were an important part of God restoring certain truths. The Pentecostal movement restored the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That whole day of Pentecost experience that had taken place and the gifts of the Holy Spirit being restored. And as you look through time, what you see is that these movements began to crop up even more quickly behind one another, and these truths were being restored even more quickly up until today. So the, the truth of the matter is, is that we are priests. And that was something that was being restored back at the Reformation time and was, has been restored all throughout history. Well, these new movements... At the beginning of a movement, you don't really see a dividing line between the, the, the clergy and the laity. But as a movement grows and matures, gets old, you see more and more of a dividing line. You see that the clergy will dress differently than the laity. You'll see that the clergy will speak differently than the laity. You'll see that there will be a division and a separation between the clergy and the laity, and this all takes place over time. And I'm a firm believer that that's not really how things are. I'm a firm believer that we're all part of the same body, and we may have different functions, and we may have different giftings. We may have different things that are going on that God wants to do in and through our lives. We may have a different call on our life. There may be a lot of things that separate us in a sense, but they all join us together into one body. And so it's always kind of interesting. Um, I was just working with somebody today that goes to church here, but we were in a different context. And so I'm working with this person, and something came up, and I made a joke, like a funny. Yeah. And, and the person commented, 
and said this. I didn't respond to, to what they said, but the person commented and said, I love it that you're so real. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how else would I be? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm real. I'm a person. I mean, seriously. And, and it, but I understood what she meant because she comes out of a traditional background. She comes out of a, a background that there's this huge separation that I don't, and I've never believed needs to exist. You know, my, my early years, my grandfather was a pastor in one of those uh, denominations where there was a big separation between the two. I hated it. I hated living like that. I hated the, the, the separation that had to exist between people and people because of their function. And so I learned to not like that firsthand watching it as a child enough that when it came time to figure out what my life was going to be, it wasn't going to be that. When June and I were talking about getting married, that was one of the things that really, really concerned her. She's like, I don't want that. I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for any of my future kids. I'm like, well, I'll do my best. That's not what I'm going to do. She's like, I don't want to have to hide the good china and the good silverware because people are coming over. <laughs> but she grew up in a church where the pastor felt the need to do that. Because if you look too successful, then they're going to cut your salary. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and, and so that was a conversation we had to have way back then. It's like, we're not going to do that. Not going to do it. And so here we are. We're at this place in Numbers. We've got a covenant of salt being made with not Aaron, but a priesthood. And this covenant was going to go on. It was going to be binding and permanent. But we're the priesthood. Somebody look at uh, Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter, First Peter two five. First Peter two five. All right, so that verse is very clear. That verse is very clear, and, and I want you to let that sink in, especially if you came out of some old church. See, I was being nicer before. If you came out of a more traditional church background, there, that was better. I want you to let that sink in. I do. I want you to let that sink in and let it sink in that you have a function within the, the church, the body, and out into the world that is named, called, designated, labeled, declared a priesthood. That's us, yeah. I don't know how. Right. 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 I wouldn't even know how that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It'd be like it's we've already we're already up to 11. I mean, where do you go? 
I mean, you turn it up one louder, but I mean, there's that, we've already gone one louder. It's, there's no more. But, but what if you put 12 on? No, 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 it's 11. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good point, right? It's a good point. And so what, what happens here is that we find out in this covenant, establishing that we're, we're the priesthood. We're, we're Aaron in this scenario. I mean, Aaron and all that would come after him, well, we're coming after him. Here we are. Here we are. All right, so what's our share? He says, well, God is our share. And what, what was he talking about? Well, he's talking about they were dividing up the land in Canaan. They're figuring out, okay, who gets what? And who gets how much of what? And so if you're from the tribe of whoever, Naphtali, or you're from the tribe of whoever you're from, well, that's your designated area. Judah's over here. That's your designated area. You got this over here. You got that over there. Benjamin, you're going to hang out over here. You got all these different tribes. And they were dividing up the land. They were saying, this is where you're going to be. These are the borders of your land. And and then it's divided within that. The families that were parts of the tribe were dividing up the land. They were figuring out who was going to have what. And that's an exciting time. If you think about it, exciting time for, for people that were going in and they were conquering this land. It's like, okay, this is what you're going to get. Awesome. Except for, except for the priests and the Levites. They didn't get anything as far as land. So in other words, everybody was getting something except for them. Everybody was getting their share. Everybody was getting whatever it was that was designated for them. Everybody had borders to their land. Everybody had a designated parcel that they were getting, that they could do with what they wanted, except for the priests and the Levites. They weren't getting that. They didn't get a share like that. And what they were assured of in this, this verse is that God would be their, their share. So, so we don't get any land? No. What do we get? God. Well, everybody's got God. What do you mean? Right? What do you mean? Well, God's your share. That was the exciting news for the priests and the Levites. God's your share. And it really was exciting, except for I'm trying to take a perspective that most of us really have. Okay? And that is... Everybody's getting all the good stuff. What are we getting? God. Well, God really is the good stuff. And we need to change our perspective on this, that we really are getting the good stuff. We are really getting something that money can't buy. We really are getting something that we cannot work by the sweat of our brow in order to obtain. We are. And, and so understanding that, is to change our perspective and to say, you know what? This is the good stuff. Every time I travel somewhere, I think to myself, this is the good stuff. I wonder what all the poor people are doing right now. You know, when I'm boarding a flight to go to some exotic place like Pakistan or, um, or you know, wherever, West Africa. I wonder what they're all doing now. I'm heading to China. Yeah, awesome. Baku, anyone? Let's go. The opalescence of the the Caspian Sea. Yeah. yeah. 
But, but I mean, where your travels take you, it's like, yeah, I've seen the world. How? Because God's called us there. Because God's opened up those doors. My kids have, have been to West Africa. My kids have been to Paris. My kids have, have experienced parts of the world that some people will never, ever be able to experience because of God's call and God's purpose and God's plan because God's my share. God's my share. And so learning to love that, learning to embrace that, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, how many, how many people are going to go to Oaxaca, Mexico? You tell me. Seriously. I mean, that's not like, that's not like the coast. That's not Veracruz, for goodness sakes. Yeah, it's, not, it's, no, it's nowhere good, all right? Not like that. I mean, they got good cheese. They got that. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, is that who gets a chance to do that? Who gets a chance to ride a bus through the mountains from Mexico City to Oaxaca? Yeah. Yeah, look out the window. You don't even see the road anymore. Wow. That's exciting. That's exciting. Anyway, so what I'm trying to get at is that we, we have a, a father, we have uh, one that we serve. He's our portion. He's our share. And there's something ex- inherently exciting about that if you want to live a life of faith. If you want to live a life of obedience, two sides of the same coin, faith, obedience, faith, obedience, faith, obedience. You want to do that? You're going to have a good life. You really are. And I know it sounds, I'm just telling you that, but try it. Try it. Faith, obedience, faith, obedience, see what happens. It's a good life. And so I, I, he's our share. And there is something inherently exciting about that. There really is. You know, there, there may come a time in your life where you just stop uh, living under the curse. Awesome. You stop working by the sweat of your brow. Awesome. You start believing him for what he said over your life. Great. You're going to be happier. You start hearing what he wants you to do and actually doing it, even if it's scary. Great. That's, that's really good. Yeah. That, that's really good. And so God declares that he says, I am what you will receive. I am. That's his name, right? That's what he's saying. I am. I am what you will receive. That's what he declares. So Christ's royal priesthood, that's us, so that's our share. And so our share is God in life and death and for all of eternity. So we look at Psalm 73, 26. Get another little verse in here. Get you a little more Bible. Psalm 73, 26. Yeah, so you got life, death, and forever. So nobody can take him away. In other words, what your portion is, your portion, your portion that that we've been given, my portion, our share that we've been given can never be taken away from us. It is what it is. He's our share, he's our portion, and he can't be taken away. 
Can land be taken away? Sure. Can, can stuff be taken away? Yeah. You sure can. All that things that the world tells you that will make you successful, can they be taken away? Yes. Can fame be taken away? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything. Everything. Everything but God and a nagging wife can be taken away. Well, no, that's the lesson of Job. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that is uh, that's the lesson of Job. It's possible. So that's the problem, right? If you put your trust in that, that's a problem. If that's what you've been working by the sweat of your brow to obtain, that's a problem. They could be just taken away. Governments take away stuff. It's what they do. It's what they do. They exist to take your stuff, pretty much. I mean, we're we're pretty much over fifty percent getting taken away from us already. Then they'll take more. You start listening to people that you know are running for president or whatever. They just want to take more. All right. We'll just take more of what you earn. You go out and you work. You're working by the sweat of your brow for what? Stuff? All right, great. But half of what you're working for gets taken from you before you even see it. Your income is confiscated before you even see it. That's what you're working by for the sweat of your brow for? Is for an income that half of it's confiscated, 40% of it's confiscated, 30% of it's confiscated before you even lay eyes on it. Gone. You think about your paycheck, that's 30, 40%. Now start figuring in other taxes. Start figuring in all of your sales taxes you're paying all the time. 8% here, 8% there, 8% here, 8% there, right? Those of you that own property, you got property taxes, school taxes, county taxes. Yeah. Yeah. It gets climbs on up there. So you're investing. Your whole life, and half of it is being confiscated from you. Awesome. And the only reason I'm telling you that is, yeah, I, I choose to live here. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. We do. I still believe that. But I'm going to put my trust in God. And I'm going to put the bulk of my effort and time, the investment of my life, into God. I'm going to take my share as God. And I'm going to understand my portion as God. And I'm going to live my life in such a way that it reflects that I believe that. You know, you, you think about whatever that, that remaining amount of income you get. All right? God, you know, we believe, most of us believe that we give 10% of that, all right, of that, that big amount, the gross amount. We believe we give 10% of that to God. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I'm investing into the one I know. Into the one I know I'll always have. I will invest into the one that I, I know is going to be my share in life and death and eternity. Because that's a good investment. I'll do it. And I'll give more than that. I do give more than that. So I ain't getting any land... That the priests and the Levites, they didn't get any land. 
like the other tribes, you know, the other the other people, their brothers, they uh, they ain't getting land. So they weren't like everybody else. Hey, you're not supposed to be like everybody else. Just a reminder, we're not supposed to be like everybody else in some ways. In some ways, we're supposed to be really different. In some ways, we're supposed to, that things aren't going to be the same for us as they are for everybody else. It's just the way it is. That's part of that call that separates. That's part of that call that sets us aside in some ways. That's part of our faith. That's part of our, our, our value system that's going to be different than the people around us. It's part of how we invest our time and our effort. It's going to be different than the people around us. And every person that is part of this priesthood, every person that is called by Jesus and comes into a relationship with him as a disciple of Jesus Christ, every one of us has a fleeting thought every now and then, why can't I just be like the people over there? Why can't I have stuff like they do? Why can't my life be like that? Everybody has those thoughts. You know what, though? It's not for us. I bet you the Levites had those thoughts. The priest probably had those thoughts. They see everybody getting their land. Everybody's dividing it up. All right, you, you live here. You live over here. You got this land over here. You're in the mountain country. You're over in the valley. Awesome. You get to be over here by the river. Look at all the fertile land over here. You guys get to farm. That's great. Everybody's excited about where they got. Everybody's excited about all that kind of stuff. What are we excited about? We're the Levites and the priests. What do we get? None of that. We don't get what everybody else gets. We get something better. And that was the point he was making in these verses to make sure they understood that they were going to get something better. They were expected to be holy and completely devoted to God. Yeah. And their life, as much as possible, was to be free from entanglements that other people, the minutia of life that other people were living in. They weren't supposed to live in that. They were given the opportunity to live above that and beyond that, just like we are. You are. I am. A couple of verses from the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.4. Somebody want to read that? Second Timothy two four. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Thank you. And the word picture in that verse of a soldier is his sword, because there's there's swords were on their side, and they would generally wear a cape. That their cape would get wrapped around their sword in such a way, because they weren't paying attention, that they would be so entangled they weren't able to draw their sword to do what soldiers do. And they left themselves completely vulnerable and open to attack without being able to defend themselves. That's the word picture in that. And I'll never forget, I was uh, going through life. I had just uh, gotten out of college. I was a Christian, young Christian. And somebody spoke that verse to me. And it, at first, I, I kind of ignored it. And then I started looking at my life at that point. It was the summer after I graduated from college. 
And I was busy with many things. Too many things. And, and someone spoke that verse over me. A friend spoke that verse over me. And, and I really, it took me a few days to really let it sink in. And really think about what that meant to me at that point in my life. About getting entangled because I'm not paying attention. About going through and doing the stuff that I want to do but not really taking care to be the soldier that I'm called to be. And finding myself in a super vulnerable situation. Super vulnerable to attack without being able to defend myself. And because of that, because of that word that was given to me in season, and it was, it was this verse. It wasn't like some flowery prophetic, you know, thus saith the Lord or anything. It was just this verse, all right? But because it was a word in season, it's something I never forgot. I have never forgotten that. And I've never taken for granted the, the call that God's put on my life, at least in this sense. Now, I've taken it for granted in other ways, but not in this sense. That I need to be mindful of who I am. I need to be mindful of the weapons of our warfare. I need to be mindful and pay attention to what's going on in my life so that I'm not left completely defenseless in the day of attack. It stuck with me. Another verse, 2 Peter 2.20. Second Peter two twenty. All right, here's a verse that's describing people who come to know Jesus, and then as that verse describes, they get entangled in their lives once again, their former life. And some of us are those people. Some of us have known people like that that have come into a saving place with Jesus. They've come into the saving knowledge of Christ and yet they've become entangled with something from their life in the past. And that can happen at any point. Now, I really want to emphasize that. This isn't just, oh, I'm in danger of this, you know, just right at the beginning of my relationship with Jesus. Things like this can come up years later where we become entangled with something that we were entangled with before. You know, and I want you to think in terms of relationships. I want you to think in terms of addictions. I want you to think in terms of weaknesses in your life that can crop up. And it could be through people. It could be through circumstance. It could be through decisions that we're making. It could be whatever it is. And they crop up again, and we become entangled in those things again. And the destructive power that that can have over our lives. It is destructive. And the second time you become more entangled in it, it's more destructive, according to these verses. And you can read the whole, the whole uh, context there if you want in Second Peter. But uh, I want you to think about that, how it's worse the second time or the third time or the fourth time you become entangled. It's worse. It really is. And that's something that you don't want to revisit. That's somewhere you don't want to go again. And so I want to encourage you that, that to be mindful. 
And so what, the, what God was trying to say to the priests, his priests here, he's like, We're, I'm trying to help you not to become entangled. I'm trying to help you to stay focused on what it is you're called to, to stay devoted to the God that you are in connection with and you're in relationship with the God who is your portion, the God who is your share, to stay connected to him. I'm trying to help you with that. You think about the things that Jesus talked about, where he talks about the, the God's provision over our lives. He said the Gentiles seek after these things. But he was relieving his people from having to do that. Like what he described there, clothes and food all the stuff that people are, are trying to get, they're trying to get after, uh, and trying to provide for themselves and, and work by the sweat of their brow. And what Jesus was saying is, uh, you see the lilies of the field? Even Solomon himself wasn't arrayed in, in such beauty. And Solomon was a pretty rich guy and a pretty powerful guy and had clothing brought to him from around the known world at that time. But even he was not as beautifully clothed as the lilies of the field. Jesus was saying, how much more will your father take care of you? And when you talk about food and clothing, you talk about provision in your life, he was trying to relieve us of worrying about it, wasn't he? Take no thought. Take no thought. Seek first what? The kingdom of God. His righteousness and all these things, all these things will be added to you. God is your portion. God is my portion. God's my share. God's your share. It's a covenant of salt that Jesus declares over his people. There, in those verses in the Gospels, as he's teaching, he's declaring that same covenant of salt. He's declaring that same provision. He's declaring that same freedom from entanglements in our life, if we choose it. If we choose it. And he goes on to say in these verses that we'd have no share among the people. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't have the same inheritance. We don't have the same stuff. It's okay. It's all right. Because one thing I found about God is his stuff is better. That's what I found. I, I just found that. His stuff is just better. It's better. It's better than what we can come up with. It's better than what, what we can produce by the sweat of our brow. I mean, I, I know people, and you know people. They work hard, and they work hard every day, and they just, they, they just like get beat into the ground every single day, working, 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 and they never have anything to show for it. Yep. Yep. I know. I know. I know. I don't live like that. I don't have share in that. I just don't. And if you do... There's something better. I'm telling you. I'm telling you there's something better. You can either believe it or don't. But I don't have any share in that. I mean, I, I, I took this, this whole thing to an extreme back in the 80s. <laughs> in the 80s, okay? I just took it to an extreme. I was like, I just believe you, God. I turned down good paying jobs because I believe God. I turned down money because I believe God. I turned down moving to really nice places to live because I believe God. 
I mean, literally just turned them down right to their face. Not going to do it. I was told I was crazy. I was told I was insane. I had Christians telling me I was stupid. Seriously. But I took this to heart. I took it to heart that God's going to take care of me. I took it to heart that God's going to look out for me. I found some notebooks the other day of stuff that I was writing back then. When I was just writing down things that God was showing me. And I looked at it as I read those. Just the other day, I thought to myself, you know, I really believe this. I didn't just write it down. It's not just some, some idea that's floating out there that is, you know, oh, that's a good idea. That sounds great. You should write a book about that. No, I just really believe it. I want to live it. And you can write all the books you want. People read the books like, oh, that's nice. So, yeah, that'll never work. Or whatever they say about books, who cares? It's like it's not something that I really care about writing down or if somebody ever reads it. I don't care. I just want to live it. And as I reread that stuff that I had written, it's like, yeah, I really believe this. And I got excited because I'm like, it's a lot of years later. The 80s were a long time ago, right? Like 30 years ago. I really believe this stuff. And I'm still alive. And I'm not broke or in the poorhouse. Right? Well, those of you that know me, right? Right? Right. It didn't happen. All the, all the things everybody said was going to happen to me. I had people pronouncing poverty over me. I had people pronouncing poorhouse over me. I had people pronouncing you're going to lose your house over me. Or whatever it was. Like, yeah, well, still alive. Yeah, still kicking, still going. I still believe it. And so I encourage you toward that. I encourage you toward that. But it has you have to own it. It ain't my story. It's got to be yours. And I, I hesitate to share my story because it's not your story. Who cares? It's got to be your story, not mine. I'm just saying it because I'm excited because I believe it. That I held on to something. That I lived it. And so he said, you have no share among the people. Well, good, because God's stuff is better. God's all we need, and he provides abundantly. And what happens is, is that opportunities open up for what? For us to teach and watch and care for. And there's, a, there's an idea here that God's people, and, and he's talking specifically to Aaron and who he represented here, but God's people could live with more zeal in their life. Anybody know what the word zeal means? I didn't look it up. So, you know, if you want to look it up, you can just type it in and look it up. But the word zeal. God's people can live with more zeal. Gusto. Gusto. Gusto's nice. Anybody look up zeal real quick? Just give me a definition. Yes, great energy and or enthusiasm in pursuit of a call or objective. That was the idea that is being brought to Aaron. That's the idea behind the statement that God is making to him. That's the idea of freeing him from the entanglements, of worrying about a bunch of stuff. That's the idea of God saying, I'm your portion, I'm your share. You're not going to have a share like other people have. Why? So you can live your life so that your existence in Jesus, your existence in God, can be one that is marked by zeal. 
I like it. I like it. So here we are, expectations. This is it. This is where it comes down to. What's our expectation? Well, for some of us, we need to change it. If you're looking for to live like everybody else, bad expectation. That is not, that is not what God has for us. He's our share, not what everybody else gets. What do they get? I don't know, whatever. Fame, fortune, and everything goes with it. I thank you all. I mean, that's what they get. I mean, but what do they actually get? It's, well, whatever it is, that's not our share. Our share is God. Our share is Jesus as New Testament priest, kingdom of priests. That's our share. And so we need that kind of an expectation that we, there's an old-fashioned saying that I want you to take as, king, as, a, as a nation of priests, as Jesus' priests. I want you to take this. We live of the altar. All right, old-fashioned. That's an old-fashioned way of looking at things, but really it's how we live. We live the place, we live of God. And we live a life of sacrifice, obedience, faith. That's how we live. That's what God's called us to. And, it, and we become unentangled as we can begin to reset our expectations for what this life's going to be. Because we serve a God that really abundantly provides. He really does. And the only way that you ever know that is by allowing Him to provide. That's the only way you ever know. You put yourself and you've heard me say this lots of times, in a place where faith is possible. If you always live in a place where faith isn't possible, in other words, everything's taken care of. Oh, you're a great budgeter. That's awesome. <laughs> everything's taken care of. You never have to you never have to have faith. You never have to really, you know, do anything out of faith. It's like, well, you know, well, I've saved my money. I've got all the bills paid. You're you're a wonderful budgeter. That's great. And I have nothing against any of that. I think being a good steward is an important part of, of being who we are. I really do, I think that. But every now and then God calls us out to something. And he will call us into a place, and that place is gonna be a place where faith is possible. And whether that's out onto a mission trip or out into evangelism or he calls us out in a service to, to give a, a prophetic word or, or sing a prophetic song or, or play a prophetic song or, or whatever it is to give a message in tongues or interpret a message, whatever it is. But we're out there and we put ourselves out there where? A place out of our control and a place out of anything that we've provided for. A place away from all of that and a place where faith is possible. That's why we know. That's how we know. I know early in my marriage, we didn't have a lot of money because I turned down all those great jobs. <laughs> and you don't think I ever thought about that some months? Seriously? Bills are coming due? I got a mortgage coming due? All those people, they're going to be right this month, finally. We're not going to be able to make our bills. We're going to go in the poorhouse this month. Is that what's going to happen? We're going to lose the house? You know, everything I thought back, I said, man, I should have taken that job in San Diego, man. 
You don't think that ever came up? Yeah. Got provided. Why? We were in the place. Because that's what he does. That's what he does. We're in the place. And there were times, you know, if there's some old pictures I found of our old townhouse where we used to live. And the living room was completely empty. Except for in the winter time, because we brought in the outside chairs <laughs> and put them in the living room. Okay? Because that's what we had. And then we'd be at the mall. We, my day off, our favorite thing to do back then was to go to the mall. I hate the mall now. But we'd go to the mall back then. <laughs> and we'd wander around and we'd look at stuff. We didn't buy anything. We'd just look at stuff. And, and every now and then, there'd be a moment where we'd be looking at something, and God would say, buy that. And I'd have to put it on a credit card or buy, get a store credit card, you know, apply for one, and buy it. Now I don't believe in going in debt. Okay, I don't. And, but every now and then, there were those moments. And you know what? God was faithful every moment that we did that. We'd always be able to pay that thing off without any interest. Every time. And he'd provide it. And it was those little times like that. And I'm not talking about thousands of dollars or anything. I'm just, you know, what we could do. But every time, paying that off with no interest, every single time, that's what God does. He provides. He provides. And slowly but surely, we're able to get rid of, you know, leave the lawn furniture outside. And we actually had something to sit on. Yeah, after a while. And I know some of you heard what I just said, and you're like, oh, Andy thinks we should go into debt to buy that couch. I didn't say that. I hope you heard the whole story. I hope you heard that whole story. Because I had every expectation that that money would come in and we wouldn't have to pay any interest on it and we didn't I think I could count the number of times I've had to pay interest on a credit card definitely I could count it on one hand I might be able to count it on one finger I've ever had to do that in my life so believe in it but I do know God provides I know it not only does he abundantly provide but there's this word and this is the word I got for you tonight you ready for the word I have for you tonight I know you thought it was a zeal Right? You thought it was zeal? It's not zeal. Here's the word I have for you tonight. Lavish. Lavish. And, and when I say lavish, you probably get this idea about what that means. Like a, a, like a miniature golden giraffe running on a treadmill or something. Or whatever's in your head. I, I don't know. I know what's in my head, but I don't know what's in your head. What's that look for? <laughs> Uh, it's awesome. Anyway, but lavish, really, the beginning of the definition of lavish, you want to hear what it is? Here's the beginning of the definition of lavish. It's given out of a great abundance. When, when you hear that word used, like someone is going to lavish upon someone else, they're giving out of a great abundance. And that's how I want you to see your father. That's how I want you to see your God, that he wants to give to you out of a great abundance. Because that's what he has. 
He has a great abundance. He has everything. And whatever he doesn't have, he just speaks it and he's got it. There's nothing impossible. There's nothing too great. There's nothing beyond what he has. And he's ready, and I believe he lavishes that a pouring forth. And this is the second part of the definition. In other words, first of all, it's given out of a great abundance, but it's a pouring forth without restraint. A pouring forth without restraint. That's who I believe is my father. I mean, not my earthly father, but my heavenly father. That's who I believe he is. And that's who he shows himself as to me. And so I want to encourage you that he is able. The limiting factor on this isn't him. The limiting factor on this is us, you. That's the limiting factor. And I want to encourage you that you serve a lavish God. You serve a God of great abundance and provision. And and really seeing it that way has a lot to do with your perspective and what you really value. Because I'm not sitting here saying he's going to give you a million dollars. Because I really don't see him. Is that how he works all the time? I know he doesn't. I really don't see it as, as him going to do whatever you know you have in your head about that. I, I don't know that's the case, but I know that he is abundantly providing and lavishly providing for our lives. And in order to experience that, see it, and live in it, it has a lot to do with your perspective and your expectation. So if you're sitting here tonight and you're not worthy of that, Guess what? What's your expectation level? Zero or ten? <coughs> Zero. Zero. Or if, you're, if your expectation is, well, I do all these wonderful things for God and I'm like the best Christian ever and, and you know, I deserve all this so God poured out. You know, what, what's your expectation level? I mean, in the reality of it. Not in your head, but in the reality of it, zero. Because you're expecting the wrong thing. Zero. And so somewhere in there is this idea, well, I'm a child of God. I have a father who loves me, who wants to provide for me, and has every means necessary to do so. We're not like other tribes. We're not. Our share is Him. And if you can find your peace, and you can find your rest, and you can find your joy in that, life goes a lot better. Let's take a moment to pray. Let's take a moment to pray. And I encourage you to set some things straight in your own head tonight. Just set them straight. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, thanks for loving us so much, and thanks for a covenant of salt with your people.
You, you declare that we're a holy priesthood. We're just going to believe you on that one. You say it, so that means it's true. And so we'll believe you. That's who we are. And your covenant of salt says that our share is you. And, and you, you, you've told us, Jesus taught us that he wants to remove a lot of the encumbrances that, and distractions and things that bind us up. If we seek first kingdom, the rule and reign of God, and the righteousness of that rule and reign, and all the stuff that everybody else is after will just be added to us. You've got bigger things for us. You've got better things for us to worry about than living under some curse. You've got a real life for us to live, an abundance for us to discover, a lavish provision for our life that goes beyond material things and goes beyond physical things, but reaches a lot deeper and a lot further than that. So thanks. I pray that you'd help us in our minds tonight to set some things right, set some things straight, and leave behind some lies, some lies of the enemy. Just leave them behind and take hold of some truth tonight. So God, thanks. I pray that we are a people of zeal for you. Our lives would reflect a relationship that's so deep you live in us. A zeal. Have your way, God. Have your way. Shake us. I pray, God, that we would apply the faith we have and that we live. For ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 All right. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? We're super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.